but you've done right around 52 expeditions in 168 countries, slept uh, out in a tent over 3,000 nights, your Guinness Book of World, Guinness World Record holder, climbed Mount Everest, trekked from the North Pole to the South Pole. You've been on the cover of Time Magazine, jet skied over the Atlantic. I didn't know that one. Alaska walkabout, bicycle from Sweden to Africa, kayak Sweden to Africa, fly a boat over Europe, Antarctica Northwest Passage, kite surfing across Greenland, dog sled the Arctic, Mount Vincent hiking, walk the Serengeti to save endangered species and destroy traps, rally across Africa, Denali, bicycle the Americas, and coached a boy in a wheelchair how to climb the mountains in Sweden. And the list just kind of keeps going on and on. We stand today. The business method. With a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars in annual revenue. And now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results, economies, and cultures. There's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this, and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen. Now, let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Could you imagine trekking 18 months from the North Pole to the South Pole? Or what about spending 3,000 nights in a tent? Or kayaking from Sweden to Africa? Walking the Serengeti? Dog sledding the Arctic? Riding a bike across the Americas? Or kite surfing across Greenland? Well, today's guest can, and he's done it all. Not only has he completed all those adventures, he has completed nearly 50 more treks throughout 168 countries, setting world records and making it on Time magazine. Johan Ernst Nielsen joins us on the podcast today to chat about his life and mission as one of the world's top adventure activists. Johan and I chat for an hour and a half about his life and the journeys he's been on. He has some great tips about finding the motivation to achieve impossible challenges. We chat about having a champion's mindset, never giving up, and about the most inspiring and scary moments he has had trekking the earth. We wrap up our interview listening to Johan talk about what he's experienced with climate change and how he is using the influence he has gained to make a positive impact in the world. You guys, it's an exciting episode, and without further ado, let's welcome Johan to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, we have Johan Ernst Nielsen on the line from Stockholm. Johan, how are you doing today? I'm splendid. I just got uh, back to Stockholm from a trip around the world. So I'm just arrived here to visit my parents for Christmas. So I'm um, pretty happy. Well, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And we were chatting before we started to record about um, how I thought Stockholm would be a great place for Christmas. And then you started telling me about how Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of true. I've heard these stories and they're really interesting where they derive from. You mentioned as 
any any dream can come possible with Coca-Cola behind it. Behind it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, what I what I actually meant was that it's, it's interesting how we can, you know, believe and structure things by being influenced. You know, in, influenced by brands, influenced by people. And yeah. I mean the I mean the whole placebo effect is also pretty interesting. I I should be studying that a lot. Is that if you really believe in something, I mean that will actually also help you. For example, like if if somebody would tell you, for example, like let's say like a guy like Tony Robbins, if he goes up and tells somebody in the audience that like you can do this, then the chances of them believing they can do it is bigger. Uh, because they have a respect and a background and they know him and they believe that if he tells them that, they will believe that. Then if a person on the street would just go up and say, hey, you, you know, you can do this. It's like whoever, and like, who are you, you know? So I yeah. think that it, it depends on who tells you and in what way. And for example, if if I see, for example, um, um, somebody like, uh, who is that guy making the, Johnny Depp is making this Dior commercial, okay? So he looks cool in the commercial. So I believe I can be that cool if I use that perfume. So it is all kind of like, you know, the way brands and people and uh, religions and leaders, everything tells us and influences us that we start believing things. And they can be good, they can be bad, but it's still a fact that is happening, you know? What are some ways, I know, I think we'll talk about this more throughout the show, but I'm curious these days, what are some ways um, that you use the placebo effect? Well, the, I mean, the placebo effect is, is, I mean, it's, we are mentioning it now as something maybe not good, but I think it can also be good because I think that if I, for example, in my teachings, in my coaching and, you know, my lectures, when I tell people they can do something, I, of course, build up a whole structure behind it. But when I get to the point they can do it, um, they believe they can do it because it's based on what I've been telling them for a long time. And, you know, I always go into my lectures and I tell them I have good news, I have bad news, you know, and they just get a bit worried, like, so what's the bad news? But the bad, is, the bad news is that I won't do anything. You know, I won't tell you anything that you don't already know. I won't create any miracles. I won't, you know do something for you but the good thing is that the good news is that you can do it all by yourself so so i can i teach people how they can from nothing become something and that is a kind of placebo effect because i don't really do anything for them i just tell them in different ways things that they already have power they already have within them and strength they already possess and then also um, a will they already have it's just that they might not know it so the placebo effect becomes reality in terms of they start believing they can do it and i feel that is very interesting because it's not me uh, actually giving them some kind of superpower it's just me telling them to really take out the superpower within them that they didn't know they had i love that i, I think the placebo is is so, so undervalued in today's world. And I've seen it work so many times with different people, whether health, wealth, um, relationships, whatever it may be. And it's really amazing to see the effect. And you're right. You know, you can tell somebody, um, I, I can tell somebody they can do it and they'll be like, yeah, whatever, Chris. And you tell them, 
somebody they can do it and <laughs> go out and do it. And, and well, well, uh, well, let's just put this in in a more realistic way. I'm gonna. So you you tell me that I don't know if I can climb Mount Everest. Okay, so obviously I have climbed Mount Everest, right? So right. so if I tell you that I will within 100 days give you a program a structure. If you follow this, you will be able to climb Mount Everest. The chances that you, after 100 days, believe more that you can climb Mount Everest than you do right now, the second, Chris, is bigger. Because I have told you this because, because you know that I'm coaching and you know that I'm climbing Mount Everest. So if I give you a program for this, it must make some kind of sense that if I afterwards tell you that you are not ready for Everest, that that might be a little bit true at least so that will yeah. increase your belief in you climbing mount everest so yeah. so i mean just that is kind of half of the struggle you know is i mean the physical and all these kind of preparations everything you know that's of course that's very good but do you really have the will do you really have the inner power to do it that's kind of what determines everything once you're up on eight thousand meters Right. You know, I mean, everybody can go up to the 8,000. It's what happens afterwards. And if you get down alive, that's kind of the structure of climbing Mount Everest. I mean, the first, it's same, same as a marathon, you know. Of course, you can run the first 100 meters. That's not a problem. The problem is you finish it. <laughs> and the problem is you finish it in time without throwing up, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that a, a big question is always that, do I really have what it takes and am i re am i ready to do what it takes to get there yeah that's uh, you're you're absolutely right so i want to go through i have a list written out here johan of some of the amazing things that you have done in, in your life so you're an adventure activist amongst so many other things but you've done uh, right around 52 expeditions in 168 countries slept uh, out in a tent over 3,000 nights You've uh, your Guinness Book of World Guinness World Record holder climbed Mount Everest seven times, trekked from the North Pole to the South Pole. Um, you've done many climate neutral expeditions, been on the cover of Time Magazine, jet skied over the Atlantic. I didn't know that one. Alaska walkabout bicycle from Sweden to Africa, kayak Sweden to Africa, fly a boat over Europe flying boat over Europe, Antarctica Northwest Passage, kite surfing across Greenland, dog sled the Arctic, Mount Vincent hiking, walk the Serengeti to save endangered species and, and destroy traps, rally across Africa, um, Denali, bicycle the Americas, and coached a boy uh, in a wheelchair how to climb the mountains in Sweden, but also served on numerous boards, Wild Aid, AMFAR, Snow Leopard Foundation Ambassador, uh, Andrea Bo Bocelli Foundation Ambassador, Nonviolence Project Ambassador, Explorers Club, Wildlife Committee, and Artists for Peace and Justice Advisory Board, Goodwill Ambassador for Nepal, uh, Nepal. <laughs> and the list just kind of keeps going on and on. And, uh, man, you have, you, you've done a lot and I'm an adventurous guy. I've been traveling the world, living abroad, working online for seven years and, um, doing my adventures as they come. But when I see your resume, 
Um, I'm blown away by a couple of things that I really want to know and we'll get to is uh, the time that you do it, how you do it and, and what motivates you. But I want to know first, Johan, a bit about your background. And so how did you become this uh, amazing adventure activist uh, that you are today? Where did you where would you say you got your start? Um, I just want to correct one thing in that uh, text okay. that you were reading. <laughs> I, I, I have uh, I climbed Everest one time, not seven times. So that, oh, I okay. Wanna, I yeah, wonder where I got that. Who, okay. For everybody who's <laughs> listening who knows that I haven't climbed Everest seven times, I just have to <laughs> adjust that. I did not say that. <laughs> okay. But okay. anyway, and, but 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 my life is not over. So so maybe in the future I will. Maybe have six more. Why times. not? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No. So, okay, so how did I start? Well, first of all, we have to go back to really, you know, the, the, the start of it in that case. So the, the question is always, how do you get where you are today and why and how did you get there? You know, it's, it's always on a journey um, and it's always pretty interesting, I think, how people got on that journey. And, and then also, because once you're on the journey, I mean, it's pretty clear where the goal is. But how did you start getting on that journey? That's always what I find interesting. So I was, for example, I was the worst in the football team. I was always the worst in gymnastics. I hated everything that was outdoor, tents, and, you know, I wouldn't even go kayaking for a day, you know, on our summer break, you know. So I hated those kind of things. Um, and that me ended up having the worst, you know, grade in gymnastics, you know, so always people were making fun of me, like every time they were going to pick somebody for the football team, I was the last guy to pick. So, um, because I was, I, I would probably fall on like the football or something and hurt myself. So, so at one point, you know, I, I was sitting in front of my TV and I was watching somebody, you know, playing the piano, I asked my mom, so who is that? He, he plays pretty well. Well, his name is Elton John, he plays the piano. Well, that sounds amazing, you know? What else does he do? Well, that's what he does. Well, he, he gets paid. I mean, I was like 10 something. Yeah, he gets paid by playing the piano. And I felt like, you know, very, you know, intrigued and interested in that. So I, a few years later, I came back to that thought about playing the piano. So. I was tired at one point when they were laughing at me in school that I was really bad at something, you know, in gymnastics, something. And I felt like, okay, enough. What can I do? What can I, what kind of impossible thing can I do? Um, you know, that I really would like to do that. I haven't had the willpower or the strength or whatever to do. What about that piano guy that I saw like this Elton John guy? So, how can I learn how to play like Elton John? So I sat down and I asked my mom, like, you know, I mean, like, you know, how could I do that? Well, it's three things, you know, it's motivation, focusing and practicing. I said, well, I can't, you know, just become Elton John by doing that. Well, at least you can try. So I made a bet with myself. Within three years, somebody would pay me to play the piano. I was 15 at the time. And when I was 18, I was a piano player and I traveled around the world playing the piano. And I started to work in bars and nightclubs and restaurants and stuff. And I ended up in the south of France. And then I ended up in Stockholm at the Grand Hotel. And I was sitting there playing the piano as that young, blonde, little, little Tintin <laughs> kind of guy sitting there, like, you know, pretty amazed. You know, I was pretty shocked. Like, am I, am I playing the piano? I'm, I was really in shock. I never really, every time people came with tip in my glass, I was like, are you giving me that money? Why? Oh, because you're good. Am I good? 
I, I just couldn't get, I couldn't grasp it that somebody would pay me for something that was impossible. Because now, obviously, it's possible because I'm sitting there and I'm playing and people are paying me for that. So I was a little bit like, what else is possible? So I was sitting with my friends talking about that and, and they said, well, you happen to have an ear for music. We can't just put this in a different, you know, context. You can't, you can't just do whatever you want to in life just with the motivation of focusing. Well, that's kind of what I can, you know. Yeah, but you can't just become a doctor just because you set your mind to it. That's, that's exactly what I can. Yeah, but you can't just become a rocket scientist in 20 years just because you're focused and you're motivated and you're training and reading. Yes, that's exactly what I can, I said. Yeah, okay, so let's just take a clear example. You were the worst in the football team. You can possibly, you know, just jump on a bicycle and bike to uh, Hamburg in Germany from Stockholm just because you want to. Listen, I can bike to the fucking Sahara in Africa if I would like to, but I don't want to. <laughs> and they started laughing and said, okay, more excuses. So we made a bet. I quit my job. I got a bicycle. I got a tent. And I started biking. This was and, after the piano when you were yeah. 18? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, something like that, 18, 19, something. Mm. And, 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 and I started biking. And, you know, what's interesting was that after a few hours, I threw up and I stopped. That was the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I called my mom. I said, listen, mom, I'm coming home. This was not fun. It was stupid, 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 stupid idea. Well, you, I mean, you did finish today, right? Yeah, I, uh, I did. I, I checked into this hotel here, you know. What about your tent? I'm not going to use my tent. Well, I mean, you can try tomorrow. Yeah, okay, I'm going to try tomorrow, but then I'm coming home. So I bicycle tomorrow, call my mom, and say, listen, I'm coming home now, and now I'm putting up my tent. This was not fun. Oh, you put up the tent. That's great. But you did yesterday, right? And you did, you know, today. Maybe you also can do tomorrow. Okay, fine. I'm doing that. Then I'm coming home. What's interesting is, Chris, that if you do only today for 52 days, you get to the Sahara. <laughs> and so after 52 days, I was sitting there in the Sahara, freaking hot, sand between my toes. And I was looking at the camels and I'm looking at, you know, the, the, you know, the Marrakesh kind of like, you know, horizon mm-hmm. in Africa. And I was sitting there like, wait a minute. Did I just bicycle to, to Africa? How is that possible? I cannot bike. So people ask me afterwards, did you bike to Africa? No, I didn't. That's, that's kind of a rumor. So what did you do? Well, you know, what's funny is that I just bike every day for 52 days in that direction. And you know, I got to Africa. Um, <laughs> um, so what was interesting at that time was that I started to also believe in myself. So what was interesting is that I started to play the piano and I started to, you know, to, to do these adventure things. And people say, well, you happen to have a ear for music and you happen to know how to bicycle, but you can't just put it in a different context. I'm like, come on, guys. I just, I just show you that I could do this. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you just happen to be able to bike. Listen, I could kayak the same distance. Yeah, right. So I got a kayak. But that took six months. So, so, so they're like kayak to Africa. And then, you know, they said, yeah, but, you know, but that's just physical. I mean, like, you know, you're, you're too stupid to do anything more, you know, technique. So, so, so I started to, to, to build a boat with wings on and I put an engine on it and I took a fly, like a pilot license. And I flew this boat with a wings on 
uh, and I flew it to Africa also the same you know distance so I started to do more and more expeditions and in the beginning it was only Chris it was only one reason to show the others that I could do it mm-hmm. and but I started more and more to, to be very you know intrigued and interested and you know curious about these things first of all there was no technique there was no motivation structure there was no focusing it was just me tired of being laughed at so so it started by by doing that then it got more and more into a lifestyle because the more because six months out in the tent you know that was a long long time for me as i have kind of like never done that even close before because i mean even though the you know the kayak was more of an expedition um because if 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 you look at um the bicycling was you know it was more it was easier but the kayak was more hard you have to you know kayak for 17 hours over oceans and stuff you know yeah um but then i get into a lot of different kind of things so i started to because you know in the adventure world you must understand the adventure world because that's a little bit like sports you cannot be for example, uh, a Formula One driver who the year after is doing Wimbledon in tennis. That's not mm-hmm. going to happen. But either you're a Formula One driver or you're Bjorn Borg. I mean, you, you, you're not one of them or both, whatever. It's like, it's, you are separated. The same in the adventure world. You're a climber, you're a biker, you're a you know, kind of Patagonia outdoor fishing kind of guy, or mm-hmm. you're... You are this or you are that. Most often you are divided into a few different sectors. It's extreme sports, which would be like, you know, skiing, uh, paragliding, or like, you know, uh, skydiving, these kind of things, like Red Bull kind of team kind of guys. Or you are the kind of outdoor kind of like, you know, climber, you know, rock climber who is like, you know, sleeping in the van, uh, go to Yosemite, these kind of things. And that guy, has often nothing um, uh, in, in comparison even with a person who's done, who's doing big wall, I mean, like, I mean like uh, big expeditions like Everest and stuff. Because these are two different kind of characters. So even within the climbing society, they are very structured in different ways. A person who is climbing a mountain like Mount Everest uh, has very little in common with somebody who's sleeping in the van and, and climbing walls in December. So they all were separated. What was interesting for me was that I saw that every person who was doing these things were pushing the limits to such a level that it became either they died or it became dangerous or they just reached any summit and they cannot do anything more than that. Right. So I started pretty early to become interested in what if I put all the cards on the table? And I play on all the cards. So, so, it, so just within a few years, I went from hiking across Alaska to climbing Denali to kayaking to Africa to building a, a, a home-built kind of, you know, airplane thing that I was flying across Europe to, you know, um, moving down to Antarctica to, you know, to... Um, living in a research station for four months to do jungle treks in Borneo. All these things were just five years. So people in the adventure world got a little bit, they didn't really understand. It was almost like, I would say, don't get me wrong now, but, 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 but I would say that the idea was a little bit almost like, like, like the Beatles albums. 
none of them were even close to the other one. If you listen right. to the Stones, if you listen to Elton John, whatever, all of them l sounds kind of, a little bit kind of the same. The Beatles albums from Please Please Me to Sgt. Pepper to Abbey Road was absolutely a different kind of album. And using mm -hmm. different kind of methods in making also the orchestra and, and, and you know, the harmonies and everything. So, so I was very much into changing everything from expedition to expedition in the same way. So, so people were very like, you know, I wouldn't say irritated, but very surprised and confused about what I was doing. Because I was on the, I was on the like, you know, on every, you know, magazine around the world when I was kayaking to Africa. This was 96, you know? Yeah. And then, then, then I was like, you know, and I was, you know, and they were coming up to me at all these like, you know, international wildlife fairs, whatever, or like conferences say, oh, you're Johan the kayak guy. Where are you going to kayak next? Uh, I'm not going to kayak. But you are the kayaker. We saw you in all the magazines and all the covers and all the things. Yeah, no, I'm going to go horseback riding now in Mongolia. Horseback <laughs> riding. That's not a kayak. No. Yeah, but we are the kayak society. Where are you going to kayak? I'm not going to kayak. <laughs> and they really got like, and then, then, then I, for example, I walked across Alaska and everybody from like, you know, the kind of Patagonia kind of like style kind of people coming up to me. So, so where's the next hike? Where are you going to go fly fishing? No, I know. I'm actually going to climb a mountain in Himalaya. What, why are you going to climb a mountain? You are, you are, you know, <laughs> so, so you are the fly fishing guy. So, so, so I was jumping into different kind of areas, you know, the whole time. And What's interesting is that every area I got into, I was meeting experts in that area saying that, oh, this is what you're going to do now. This is extremely complicated. You can never do this. And this is going to be very, very hard. For example, jumping from the bicycle into kayaking. And, you know, they said, well, you know, you know, biking was one thing, but kayaking, that's really complicated. You will never be able to do that. <laughs> and then, like, you know, I go into maybe climbing of Denali and they said, well, you forget about the kayaking, the biking. This is the hardcore thing. And I, but, I, but I started to do it in a different way. So I started to call people up with one single question. I asked them, what kind of failures have you done? What was the biggest fuck-ups? What was the biggest mistakes that you have done? Because mm -hmm. I knew what to do, but I wanted to know what not to do. So I started to more and more learn about people's mistakes. I found that very interesting because I wanted to learn about the climbs of Denali, Mount McKinley, that was not successful. I didn't want to learn about the ones that were successful because, you know, that, that could have been luck. That could have been, they just happened to have good weather, but nine other expeditions turned out to be in bad weather. And how come they choose a time of bad weather or did they not choose that time? Was it... A, I mean, why was the reason, et cetera, et cetera. So I started more and more to study that. So I got more into a kind of structure of how to build an expedition. Um, one of the biggest questions for me was why? Why am I doing this? Because this is something that I learned at a very early stage. Because when I was doing my first expeditions, the whole motivation was that to show the others that, you know, they were wrong. Right. I could do this. But once I, once I showed that, and my, once people didn't really question that anymore after four or five years, and once people started to say like, okay, we believe that you can do this, then the why was kind of gone. So I couldn't do another ex expedition, say that, 
come on guys, I'm going to show you I can horseback ride across uh, Mongolia, which I was planning, you know. And then they said, yeah, of course you can. And then I was just quiet. Oh. <laughs> but where's the fighters? Come on, guys. I'm going to show you guys. No, no, no. Of course you can do this. And we will be surprised if you won't do it. Oh, that's a new <laughs> approach. What am I going to do now? So I started more and more to lose that aspect of showing them and more got into more interested in, you know, anthropology, people, uh, but also started to get more and more interested in the structure of expedition, photography, filming, these kind of things. So I changed the aspect a little bit because the why is very important. If you're going to climb a mountain like Mount Everest, you can't just sit at 8,000 meters and think like, hmm, I wonder why I should climb this mountain. You must know exactly why you're doing it. Otherwise, if you're going to risk your life at 8,000 meters, you must know exactly the reason why you're doing it. And that is a mix of a lot of different kind of feelings. And those are the things that I today build up within myself before I go on an expedition. Because I must know in my structure, in, in everything, but also building up my teams around me, why are we doing this? Uh, because if I find the why, then I have much easier way of, of uh, influencing the people around me that is going to be a part of this expedition, why we're doing it. Uh, I can't just say that, oh, it's another mountain. Yeah, but they want to be influenced. They want to feel that they are part of the team. And they want to know why we are taking this risk, why we are working for this, for example. Um, so that's why I think it's very important to find the why. And the why changes. Like when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a fireman or a police or a doctor, whatever you want to be when you're 10 years old. I'm not today. That, that means that I failed? No, it just meant that my why has changed. Right. So, so, so the why was a very important thing when I, when, I, when I grew up doing my expeditions. I needed to find out the why. And the why changed with time. But the why is the same thing if you have a relationship, if you um, are religious, if you work with something. I mean, I give you some examples of like, why am I believing in this religion or this God? Why am I living with this woman or man? Why am I, for example, uh, living in this country? Or why am I not taking the job that was offered in this other country? Why did I not break up with my girlfriend and took that other chance with that girl at the conference that I met? Why did I, etc., etc.? You must know the why. Because if you don't know the why, you will start questioning yourself and your relationship or your work position or whatever you want to do. Because people ask me often, like, as you said, like every seven times, I climbed it one time, like, okay, so will I climb it again? Well, I must find the why, Chris. I must find the why. If I don't know the why, I will not be able to do it. Because if you say, for example, that my biggest um, goal or dream in life and everything that I do with all my podcasts is to learn that one day I will climb Mount Everest. That's my biggest mission in life. I might be intrigued and say, huh, that's an interesting you know, project. I might take that one and I might coach him the coming two, three years to do that. Or if I have a son and he turns 18, I say, okay, I'm going to take him up because that's his dream. If it's such a project, I might be intrigued and say that, okay, I might take this. I found out the why for me. But if you say that I'm going to pay you 50K, that's not the why for me. Because I cannot, 
risk my life and do such a thing just because there's a number popping up. That will not be. And if there was, I think that is, for me, the wrong way of climbing the mountain. The, the climbing the mountain must be a more pure and more, I mean, I do a lot of like, you know, trips where I take people from around the world on different kind of adventures, but that's not when we risk our lives. If mm-hmm. I'm going to risk my life, it cannot be a number. It has to be an inner journey that I want to reach somewhere or something or help somebody reach somewhere. So the you, why has you, been very important for me. Do you have an overlapping why for all of it at this point in your life? Like maybe inspiring others or something along those lines? Well, again, you know, the why has changed with time. Right yeah. now, for example, in the last, you know, I would say five, ten years, uh, one word that is just going through everything I do is, um, is change. Um, and change can be change of my own mindset. Uh, change can be changing other people's mindsets and influencing other people to, you know, think differently. Um, and we, we're going to get into what exactly that is later, but, but, and then also change in the world environment. Um, it can be, you know, I, I, within our lifetime, we have to, for example, change the world's uh, you know, system of using plastics, for example, changing, you know, the, the, the environmental world we're living in and how we should treat our nature. That's one thing. Another mm-hmm. thing is that how we, you know, how we see our leaders, how we see um, each other and how we believe in ourselves. And, you know, so the change is part of evolution. You know, it's a, I mean, we are all a part of an ecosystem and it's not until we understand that that we can live in harmony with nature we believe that we are above nature we believe that we are superior species but we are not we're just a part of nature so we must understand that so those kind of things has become my reason for everything the change i like that well out of all your treks and your adventures johan um what what was the scariest situation that you've been in 1994, um, the, the moments, the seconds, the moments after I tell my friends that I will bike to the Sahara and realizing that I'm actually going to do it. <laughs> no, because you must understand that at that time, I, haven't, I hadn't done anything like that. Yeah. I mean, at that time, I, did, I didn't know the back and the front of the bicycle. You know, I, 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 I bicycled one hour in my life. You know, I had no idea what I was going into. And I had no idea how, what it was just to open up and close down the tent or whatever. So, which means that bicycling to Africa in 94 was, in a way, tougher than climbing Mount Everest 2007. I mean, it, because it was at the time when I was climbing Mount Everest, already done x amount of years of pushing myself outside my comfort zone because the actual bicycling is not the dangerous part the actual climbing mount everest is not the dangerous part is the moment when you realize that i have made a deal with the devil god myself my friends my family whatever uh-huh. i've made a deal i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna stick with that and that is kind of a really scary feeling that like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been through these moments in your life when you say that, okay, this is the moment when I feel that this is a breakup. 
this is a moment of no return, we have to break up, and this is not going to work. Or the feeling that finally you are the one. Or you say that, okay, I am going to quit this job, no more. Or I'm going to move there, I've decided, or let's go on that vacation. Oh my God, we already decided, it's just so you know, thrilling. <laughs> so, so, I mean, those kind of feelings, when you really decided that this is the moment and I have decided. It can be also, I mean, I know people that I've been coaching, for example, like, you know, like alcoholics and people, you know, fighting with different kind of addictions. And they told me like at one point they have no idea what happened. At one point they just decided, okay, this is it. I'm going to stop now. Yeah, but what made you, it's just like a mix of 2000 things. But that exact moment, they will never forget. The moment where they said, okay, this is enough now. So, so those moments are, you know, um, the scary part, for example. And also, the, of course, the thrilling part. So, I mean, that was the scariest moment in terms of, you know, making a, a change in my life. But then, of course, you have moments um, on expeditions, like falling rocks on Mount Everest, falling through the ice on the North Pole, or having polar bears outside your, your tent or having dogs with rabies in Nicaragua chasing you on a bicycle. I mean, like, <laughs> which is, of course, a very negative situation, you know? Sure. But, um, but, you know, of course, I mean, 3,000 nights in a tent, that's eight and a half years of my life. Of course, you know, it's been, uh, it's been I've been through a lot, you know, I must say. So, um, yeah. so but, but, um, but, but, I mean, from the very start, the first, you know, the first moment when I decided, you know, I'm going to do this, that was a, you know, a life-changing moment. I'm curious, Johan, what would you consider the most cathartic experience that you've had? Well, you know, it, it is kind of, um, it is kind of interesting to see um, other people reaching their, their personal Everest, as I call it, for example, like, it was one boy once he called me up. I think it was 18 or 19 or something. He called me up and said, listen, I, I got cancer and can you coach me? You know, I'm, I'm actually doing this digital um, book uh, where I'm trying to interview people, you know, around Sweden uh, that can help me to get a more understanding of my life because I got cancer. I'm in a wheelchair and I kind of lost, you know, my hope a little bit. I said, yes, I'll coach you. Um, and here's the location we we're going to meet. And he called me back again and said, listen, uh, maybe there was something wrong with this, uh, you know, but you, I think you sent me the wrong coordinates. No, this is, these are the right coordinates. Yeah, but that's up in the Arctic. That's a mountain. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, but that's a 6,000 feet mountain. That's the highest mountain of Sweden. Yes, I'm in a fucking wheelchair. Well, that's not my problem, is it? <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm going to start the coaching here. And if you want to join my coaching, that's where I'll be. But how am I going to get up? I'm in a wheelchair. Well, I carry the wheelchair. You can crawl, right? So, you know, after a week of, you know, fighting with that, you know, he made it up to uh, the summit of Sweden. And we're sitting there and he said that, like, okay, Johan, I made it up to the summit of Sweden. Can we start the coaching now? And I said, well, that was the coaching. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, 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 so watching him believe in himself in a different way and seeing him getting a new structure in his life was, of course, a bigger feeling for me than um, seeing myself 
climbing Mount Everest because at that time I already climbed the 8,000 meter. Well, I've been on eight, uh, I've been on 8,000 meters on a mountain called Shisha Palma in Tibet, and I yeah. already climbed Mount McKinley, Denali, and you know, so I've kind of I kind of knew that there was a big chance that I could climb Mount Everest. So it wasn't really a shock for me that I. Of course, it was a thrill and everything, but I knew that I'd been to 8,000 meters without oxygen at least. So I knew that was, you know, not that far from it. So it was, of course, thrilling, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a very big surprise for me. But for him, of course, being in a wheelchair and crawling up a mountain, of course, that was a new, you know, a new life for him. Uh, So those things have been more, you know, spiritual in a way. But also you must understand also that over the years, I also developed a spirituality within myself also. I'm very close to Buddhism. I'm very close to also, as we talked about in the beginning, the placebo effect that if you really believe in something, you, you, you can do it. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you have a certain power that you can do it. It just means that you have decided that you have the power to do it and you can do it. So, yeah. so, I mean, I've, I've seen that so many times over the years. I'm taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people up mountains and out on expeditions in my, you know, coaching trainings and doing my, my adventures where I take out people. And, you know, and it's just the feeling of them looking at the route or looking at pictures saying that I could never do this. What am I getting myself into? And then sitting there on the summit and then screaming, I did it. And then afterwards, coming up to me two years later and say, I can't believe I actually did that. So those moments have been, you know, as strong as for me climbing a mountain or, you know, going up, you know, from North Pole to South Pole or whatever, you know. Um, but also, you know, it's, it's also been, um, it's also been a, a very big challenge also sometimes because some of the expeditions like pole to pole has been very long, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't say the longest, but some of the longest expeditions ever made in more than time, at least, because, you know, 18 months out in the tent is a long time, you know? Yeah, that was 18 months from North Pole to South Pole. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's a long time about on out on an expedition, you know, so. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, some of those expeditions have been very, very long, you know, and, and those have been very hard for me because of because it's, it's because it's been so long you know it's been so long and and it's so long without relaxing so yeah. those moments have been very hard for me and the hard thing is that one once you're done like when i was kayaking to africa and i sit down like so what's now what's next i mean i kayak 10 hours a day every day for six months and then just one day you stop yeah and i can i can feel that like like athletes for example like you know Bjorn Borg or whoever like playing tennis and then one day you stop you must feel like you know one year later you must feel like so empty because yeah. your whole life was one specific thing and now it's empty so so I mean so for me it was been empty a few times that's why I keep getting into new expeditions all the time that's kind of like an addiction really good addiction though but you know it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of hard to stop yeah what do you think about, I mean, 18 months from North Pole to South Pole and trekking all over the world, you spend a lot of time alone. What, what do you think about when you're by yourself? Well, <clears throat> you know, I was, um, when I was um, kayaking to Africa, I had a, 
I called it kayak cam. It was a yellow, how old are you, Chris? 38. 38, okay. So, 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 so you remember those, old, uh, the, those early um, Sony cams, right? The, the, the early ones, uh, the high eight ones or the DV cameras, these kind of things that was out, right? Um, so, so those cameras, there were some, the, you had these yellow um, uh, uh, boxes that was waterproof that you can put yeah, your, your camera inside. I remember, inside. I remember those, so, yeah. I had, so I had one of those in the front of, 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 of my kayak, and I call it the kayak cam. And I, and, and I had a remote control with it so I can like record myself and I can do an interview with, with myself because otherwise it's pretty hard to film yourself uh, since yeah. you're holding in, in the paddle. This was before selfie sticks. <laughs> that was way before selfie sticks, internet, smartphones, uh, yeah. like or anything. GoPro, all of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was just in the in the beginning of it, actually. But anyway, so so I had um, so I had this um, this this kayak cam, and I was filming myself. And then at one point, I shut off, you know, the camera, and I was just continue kayaking. But what happened was it was still going on, and it, it was still recording. So, so when I got home, like a half year later, I was watching all the films and I was looking through the films and I was, wait a minute, this is just going. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I just watched it for an hour, just nothing. I was just kayaking and some point I just started singing, you know, so singing, la, 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 more. And then I started to get tired and I started to tell funny jokes. And, and, the, and then at the end of the funny joke, I tell the punchline. And then I laugh as I didn't know what the punchline was, you know? So, <laughs> so, I, so when you're alone out there, you get a little bit weird sometimes, you know? Um, yeah. But I must say that one thing that I do a lot is that I, um, I think a lot about philosophy. I, I think a lot, I, I read a lot of books, you know? Now, nowadays, I only on expeditions read audiobooks because that's yeah. the easiest way to travel with it, you know? And um, so... A lot of like philosophy, a lot of these kind of things. And also, I try to also write diary, you know, try to understand a little bit about, you know, who I am and what I do. Um, Some of, you know, my coming books are based on, you know, my 25 years of, you know, thinking and planning. Because they come to a certain point where I didn't really understand, you know, why I was doing some certain things and I really needed to sit down and think and try to understand. So, 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 it's, so it's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of, you know, but also it depends on what expedition it is. But if it's living with the tribes in Amazon jungle, then it's a lot of interaction. You, know? you understand people, you start to understand their philosophies and their way of life. If I'm all alone on the polar cap crossing Greenland, whatever, then, you know, then it's more of an inner journey. So it depends on where I am. What's one of the most impactful books that you've read? Um, I would say um, one recent book that I read that I liked was The Power of Now with Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Uh, I would say also... Um, uh, I'm reading a book now that I find very interesting called Sapiens. Um, That's a great book. Yeah, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, I find it very interesting. Um, it's, um, so that kind of books is what I read. 
uh, right now I have on on my table next on, on my bed table I have like 10 books that I'm gonna finish and I promise myself I'm not gonna get any more books because I'm just I go I can go to the bookshop and just go nuts yeah uh, <laughs> it's just that I'm gonna finish these books first because you know and then I'm gonna continue with my next books later because I have a whole bookshelf of things that I want to read so I would say that one of the um, major books that I read um, that I really, really liked was um, um, the Tibetan book of life and death was interesting. Um, um, the interview is, 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 um, is an interview with Dalai Lama called, called, called Book of Happiness. It was interesting also, The Art of Happiness. Um, yeah, so I mean, there are a few um, that I find interesting. Uh, I like books that makes me think, you know. Yeah, makes sense. Now, I, I know, Johan, that you've documented climate change all over the world. Um, so I'd love to get some insight about what's really happening because there's so many mixed messages that are going out there. Um, obviously, you know, I think the main message, obviously, is most scientists believe that it, it's really, really uh, a major, one of the biggest threats to humanity right now. Um, but it goes back and forth, especially with the new American president, you know, and he's throwing out propaganda as well. So from being in the field, uh, what's your insight about what's happening with climate change? I was speaking at the UN a while ago. And um, when I was doing that, uh, I was asked, what is the biggest problem, politics versus uh, environment? Uh, and I said, well, the biggest problem we have right now, I said, is that there's an orange man in a white house with a black agenda <laughs> for a blue planet. Anyway, <laughs> That's a so, good way to put it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so um, yes, okay, so this is a complicated, um, of course, subject. And, and there are a few things that I find is interesting to mention is that, so there was a marshmallow test um, made um, a few decades ago. I don't know if you heard about it, but it, it was called the marshmallow test. And they gave, I think, four-year-olds. They gave four-year-old kids two options. One marshmallow right now or two marshmallows tomorrow. And then they, they followed them over the years and see how they developed. And it was pretty interesting how they developed differently uh, if they would choose one marshmallow today or two marshmallows tomorrow. So what I'm getting at is that, um, I'm going to give you another example. If I would raise money to save a little rhino baby, I go on Facebook, I get the money in within two hours. That's not a problem. If I would say that, if I would ask people, what is the biggest love and the biggest importance of your life? They will say our children. Okay, fine. So let's invest a few hundred million dollars in climate change for the next three generations. I won't get a dime. Because people have problem looking at, things that um, are in the future. Uh, things that are happening right now, uh, I can sell you an, an umbrella if it's raining outside because you will understand if you go out, you're going to get wet. You don't want to get wet. So that's an egocentric thing and you buy an umbrella from me not to get wet. It's an easy equation. We all understand that. But if I would say that I'm going to sell you this mask to cover your face because if you're going to go out, and then you will get X amount of percentage of fumes inside your lungs, and that will not be good for your future life, whatever. You will not buy the mask. So, so for some reason, we have some really problem 
of seeing um, seeing what's going to happen in the future. Uh, I mean, the, the cause of everything, you know, and, and the outcomes. So I think that that's one major problem we have. Um, when I've gone around the world, I've seen climate change. I've seen the difference a lot, uh, especially if you go back to Alaska 95 or you go back today, 25 years later, I've seen a lot of, you know, differences. And I also spoke to a lot of people who've been living in the areas who told me that, you know, when we were kids, you know, we used to have these glacier here. But then people go up to me on social media and say, listen, we don't really care about, you know, the Arctic. We never go there. Yes, but okay, listen, guys, it's not about the Arctic. It's not about the ice. It's not about Antarctica. That's just a measurement. It's just a measurement of, because the thing is that people don't really see a combination of like, you know, of uh, the fires in LA or that the Maldives are disappearing or there, there's a hurricane going on in like in, in that area. They don't see a combination or a sort of kind of relevant thing between these two things that the Arctic is melting fine and there, there's a big storm going on in, in Miami. They don't see the connection between these two things. So, so that's kind of the problem that they don't really see that I mean, it's the same thing with like saving some kind of animals. It's easy to save a rhino, but saving some kind of little insect is not easy to save, uh, to raise money for. But right. the insect will, in one generation, kill the rhino. So why is that? Well, if the, if the insect disappears, then, the, then this disappears, this disappears, this disappears, and that will lead to the rhino disappearing. But they don't really see that. And that is so complicated for us. So I think that one big thing that we need to understand is that we need to find a way of showing people in a, even if you're showing on a graphic, people don't get it. So that is kind of one of the major things that we need to solve is that how do we get people to understand that we need to invest in a future that is uncertain. We need to invest in a future that we know nothing about, but according to these graphics according to these um, um, numbers this is what might happen probably might happen in the future if we continue as we do yes but is it is it certain no it's not certain but it's certain based on these numbers yeah but can you guarantee that this will happen if we don't change no we cannot guarantee but the risk is very high that we will not make it if we continue living like this. So, so those things are, I think, one of the major problems. That's also one thing that, um, one thing that I feel is a huge problem is plastics. Yeah. Um, because the thing is that in 2050, uh, 2050 uh, the scientists have made a calculation. In 2050, the weight, the weight of plastic in the ocean will be bigger than the weight of all fishes combined. Really? Yeah. Wow. So, so, I mean, those numbers, are the, so we have to find a way, and we have started to find ways of, you know, using some kind of like, you know, plants to make plastic from. That is as strong as plastic, as good as plastic, but of course it, it, it costs more. Yeah, but come on, guys, we're putting $5 trillion every year, whatever, in in military, I mean, come on. I mean, 
we must balance the way we're investing in things, right? Mm, right? I mean, if we can afford to put all this kind of money in, in military, then we should put X amount of money in also solving the world's environmental problems. And also, I think it's great we're going out in space. I think it's great we're investing in these kind of things. But also, let's just fix this planet first, you know? I'm not saying yeah. that we should not invest in, in space and, and these kind of things, but also let's just fix this place first because it would be pretty embarrassing inviting an alien species to this planet for the moment. It's like, you know, if I'm having friends at home, I'm fixing my apartment. If I can't do that, I'm hiring somebody to come home and clean my apartment. Whatever I do, it's clean when they come, right? Yeah. So before we invite somebody to this planet, let's just fix this first, right? Then we can start dealing with the other things later. Because the thing is that as we go on now, we will not be able to make, you know... So, so okay, so let me give you another example. I was, I was having this dinner with this woman. I can't remember her name. She won the Nobel Peace Prize a few years ago. And, 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 and um, I was asking her, so what do you think, you know, are you worried about the man will destroy the nature? Of course not, she said. Are you not worried? Not at all. Are you not worried that we will destroy the nature? Of course not. Listen, Johan, she said, there's like a billion species on this planet. Do you think nature would allow one species to destroy the others? <laughs> At one certain point, nature will just deal with this itself. Nature is an ecosystem that is doing a calculation. And at some point, we are too much of a problem. We will be just taken out. So for our survival, we must take care of nature. We must be environmentally friendly, not to save the... But the thing is that if, if we die now, Earth will be fine again in 200 years. Right. As nothing has ever happened. I mean, right. of course, there will be plastics. Of course, there will be this and that. But that will slowly, slowly go back. And then a few thousand years, it will go back again. On a timeline of 7 billion years, what is that? Nothing, right? So like in a few thousand years, we'll all go back to normal again. And nature will be as it has always been. It's not a problem. If we destroy nature, then the whole earth will, of course, be, you know, out of its ecosystem. That's not going to happen. Nature will never be destroyed. You know, it's a huge ecosystem. So we need to take care of our nature for us, for our survival. So that's yeah. why I feel it's very important for us to think about that. It's not about the nature, it's about us. I, I want to move into talking about influence because doing what you do, you, you gain a significant amount of influence to do things like um, speak and talk to people in the UN and governments around the world and all these uh, amazing organizations. And, and even on a small level, people um, living day-to-day -day lives, just seeing and hearing about you um, and learning what you do can change their lives in significant ways. So uh, what, what, have you learned about influence over the past two decades that you've been trekking around the world and doing these adventures? Um, and how do you, I would say, what's the most important aspect of influence that you have and how are you using it to create a positive impact in the world? So let's just, um, define the word impossible. Um, the word impossible is a word that we have made up. The word impossible does, doesn't really exist. 
Impossible is just a word for things that we don't understand. A word uh, that we use for things that we don't know how it works. We don't know how to do it, or we don't know uh, how to structure it. Then we use the word impossible. So, for example, everything around you right now, <clears throat> whoever is listening, is 500 years ago, all that around you was impossible 500 years ago. Yeah. If you look back... It, my iPhone, if, if I was show an iPhone in the 13th century, they probably burned me alive. Yeah. If I was show uh, uh, electricity <laughs> in, this, in the Stone Age, I think that I'm God. Yeah. So, so what happens in the future? Maybe everything that we have around us right now is like, you know, you know it's old-fashioned, standard, whatever, you know. But just because, like, let's say that I, let's say that I like football. I'm, I'm, I'm watching Slatan, a Swedish football player playing in Australia right now, um, live in my phone. How the fuck is that possible? I have no <laughs> idea. Is it happening? Yes. But if you ask me to explain how I can watch somebody playing football live in this little plastic thing in my hand, I don't really know, to be totally honest. I just know that it's working. So just because I don't know how it works doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that I don't know how to do it. So, so I have something called the wall philosophy that I use a lot um, in, uh, in my coaching. The wall philosophy is when I'm asking the audience and I'm asking the audience, so can I walk through brick wall? And they say, of course not, you made of flesh and bone. So ask me. So somebody says, can you walk through brick wall? And my answer is, I don't know how to do it. But just because I don't know how to do it doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means that I haven't structured out, found out how it works yet. So with that, <clears throat> with that <clears throat> word, I changed my whole perspective of everything. The world philosophy changed everything in, in my life because it changed the way that I look at things. Because everything is possible. The impossible just takes more time. Um, if you look at, for example, if you would ask me, if you would have asked me uh, 10 years ago, can you play the violin? I would have said, oh my God, no, that's impossible. I could never do that. Today, I would say, no, I haven't spent 10,000 hours how to learn how to play the violin yet. Um, meaning that, I, and I can tell you now, Chris, I'm not willing to spend 10,000 hours to learn how to play the violin. But that doesn't mean that I can't do it. It right. just means that I have other things to do that are more important. So, and, and also, if you were asked me, can you jump to the moon? 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I would say that, no, of course not. My legs are not strong enough. Today, I would think about what kind of physics do I have to learn? What kind of, uh, kind of Stephen B. Hawking kind of characters do I need to talk to to understand how to move in materia and time to jump from here to the moon? So I started to think differently. And I started to think in a way that things are not impossible. So whatever you will tell me, Chris, I would always answer that it's possible, but I just don't know how that works. So, so, so that mindset is something that I'm trying to influence people in the way they think. It's the same thing as, for example, uh, you know, like climate change. Although, I mean, people say, oh, my, that would be impossible to stop, but that would be impossible for us to change. Well, I mean, to be totally honest, we used to have slavery. It was not that far away, you know, and yeah. that was pretty messed up. We yeah. were pretty, pretty messed up, you know, having slaves, you know. And then we used to, you know, we used to, women didn't have any rights, you know, they couldn't vote. 
it was not far away a woman couldn't run a marathon and you know they didn't have any rights at all not even talk about gay people whatever you know i mean we have changed a lot the last 200 years mm-hmm. in terms of the way we look at things we looked at, at disabled people we looked at uh, people who are different colors we look at everything that we feel are different from the white male version of a standard was wrong you know and that's pretty fucked up way of looking at the world so mean that we have changed a lot so meaning that if we can stop slavery why can't we stop climate change right i mean i mean we have shown in time and history that we can change we can sh- we are also shown in history that we can actually change for the better so if we can do that i mean come on guys let's just you know we have one planet we have found in this whole system of planets we've been looking everywhere in the universe i am absolutely positive there are life on other planets but sorry guys we haven't found it yeah we haven't found it and there's no way near even finding anything close to life yet so as long as that is the fact we have one single place to live and that's our planet so we must change this place and people ask me okay johan so you've been all over the world you meet all the leaders you meet all the things and organizations as you told me chris you you speak in all these kind of big important places so fine so what's the answer what's the biggest problem is it climate change is it racism is it the nuclear wars is it world hunger is it water problems is it plastic in ocean what's the problem what should we start with and my answer is none of the above none of these things are the most important thing the problem is us mm. we are the problem not climate change or this or that or plastic or world hunger or 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 overpopulation deforestation none of these things are the problem we are the problem without us humans this planet wouldn't have a problem so we must change our mindset so our biggest change must not be focused on a certain area we must go back to the roots we must go back to the basic we must change our mindset of looking at everything so not go into a specific area and say that oh i'm going to recycle this bottle i'm going to use the not using the plastic straw forget about all these things go back to the basic we must change the way we look at things only doing that can we save the planet Johan, I got to ask you, as as you've grown and done more and more adventures, I think to myself, I do a lot of adventures too, but I think like I would like to do more. Um, how and, and I'm sure it's changed over the years. How do you keep funded for your adventures throughout the past couple decades? Well, <clears throat> well, of course, I mean, that has changed as well. You know, I mean, if you look at... Um, if you look at expeditions like pole to pole, which is two, $3 million. And then you look at, um, uh, you know, biking to Africa, which is uh, $5 a day. I mean, yeah. uh, for 52 days, it, of course it's that changes. So let me give you a few examples. When I was living four months in Antarctica, uh, I was doing a film for discovery. So then it was a discovery production. Um, when I was uh, climbing Mount Everest, it was a part of a project called Seven Summits, uh, which is the highest point on all the seven continents, which was a book project that I did. 
so that it was funded by different kind of ways of uh, you know working with the book um you have for example a pole to pole which was a, a sponsorship where you had um, a brands involved with it um so it all depends on what kind of you know now for example um i work less with big logos and more with um influenced kind of um you know, companies working on a on a deeper level for example like uh, it can be for example if a company is sponsoring me then the whole concept of it is me traveling around and giving lectures for all the clients in 50 countries around the world in the coming three years or it can be we publish two books and a film together or it can be for example that i help to develop a product they have um for example i'm going to give you a short little example there was one um when i was uh, kite surfing over greenland 2007 9 2009 uh, <clears throat> then i was looking for a sponsor to go over greenland to to kite surf 1700 kilometers from south to north and I was, um, you know, looking all kind of, you know, kind of areas where I was, you know, you know, finding somebody that because, you know, I get a lot of like requests from company, but sometimes it's not really the company that I want to use. So, so I wanted something that I felt, you know, was, was more interesting. Then a company called me up and said, listen, <clears throat> we would like to sponsor your uh, trip to, uh, um, and we don't want to be a part of like, you know, three, four, we just want to sponsor the whole thing. Like, okay, that's the start of a good start of the conversation. <laughs> <I said>. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, so what do you do? Well, we're an oil company. You're an oil company. I said, um, what do you mean by that? Well, we work with oil. Well, I mean, listen, I'm going to cross Greenland with, uh, you know, kite and skis. I'm thinking an oil company is not really what, no, 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 no. Not that kind of oil company. Okay, so, so, so what's the story? Well, we are working with scientific research stations uh, all over the world, and uh, we're working with the oil and the oiling of, you know, the cylinders and, the, uh, you, know, and you know, in the machinery of like uh, wind stations or solar panels and things, you know, these are things. And, and, and we, want, we have this big deal going on up in Russia, and we want to, you know, build a... 50 you know wind stations or solar panels whatever for some kind of research stations there but we want to show them that this really works in minus 50. so do you think you can use this oil in your um you know in your zippers uh and in the like zippers to the tent and then with the skis and things and you oil them and then you can do a film and you can film yourself while you do this and you can say that in minus 50 I'm using this oil in, our, in, in my zipper so I can use this by crossing Greenland. And I freaking love the idea. So I said, of yeah. course I'm going to do that because that was a new way of looking at things, right? Yeah. So then I was using a product that I actually used yeah. and it was actually good. Yeah. And I'm not saying that their competitors was not good. I'm just saying that this was good, you know, and I used this one and it worked fine. And they was using this uh, on this uh, big... Um, you know, sales pitch, and then they were, and they won the whole pitch because yeah. you know they were using because all of the others were using some kind of like you know graphics or numbers or whatever. They used the live case of somebody kite surfing over Greenland using their oil of greasing, you know, whatever things I needed to grease during the way over Greenland. So I'm saying that sometimes the most interesting, you know, companies can be a partner, you know. 
So what I'd rather not use is a big logo of a, I'm not going to mention any brands, but just a big logo of a big, uh, you know, soda or a car company, whatever, just a big logo. I've done that before. I'd rather not do that in the same way if it's not really connected to a reason why that should be. But I'd rather not have that. I'd rather work in diff- different ways. Yeah. But I yeah. have some... Uh, Go ahead. Now I have some big expeditions coming up, for example, and some of them are with logos, some of them are not with logos. It depends on what kind of expedition it is, you know. How long did it take you to get your first sponsorship? Because those first adventures had to be, you know, out of your own pocket, right? Well, you know, I mean, you know, you remember the tip in the glass, you know, I mean, that was, you know, how I financed my first trip, you know. And actually, it was, I rented out my apartment, you know, and it's actually cheaper yeah. to to uh, bike from stockholm to sahara than living in stockholm you know so, so <laughs> i believe like, that so at, so at the time you know and then of course then i was when i was kayaking i got a kayak you know i got a tent but didn't get any money and then slowly i got into more you know cash flow and uh, lectures and things and uh, one thing leads to another you know and uh, but then, of course, you know, it's, it's also, you know, it started with a struggle. You know, I used to send out letters. And one funny story was that I was uh, my, one of my first uh, big um, sponsors were, were um, uh, Fujifilm, 95. Yeah. And they were, at the time, it was very expensive with, with film, right? So if you're going to have 200 rolls of film and then development of the film was costing a lot of money, you know? So, yeah. so, 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 and I was starting to get into my photography and making my photo books. So I started more and more to get into that, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have any money to, to, you know, buy all this film and to develop the films, especially because that was really expensive. <laughs> so, 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 so I was, you know, um, I was sending out the letter and then they called me back and they said, listen, we want to meet you. You sound like a funny guy. I'm like, why am I funny? And they, you know, and they came into the meeting. They were all sitting there smiling and like, What's so funny? Well, we got your letter here at Fujifilm, you know, and you'd ask for 100 rolls of film with free development. And, uh, and uh, yes, we're going to sponsor you, but uh, we have to change the, the letter that you sent us. Okay, so what's wrong with the letter? Well, let us read you the letter. So um, if you sponsor me with 100 rolls of film uh, of Fujifilm, I will hereby only use Kodak for the coming year. So I forgot to change, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the text, you know? So, yeah. so I was, so I was sending to all kind of sponsors. I just forgot. to uh. send. This, you know? <laughs> so they were like, no, we cannot sign that paper, you know? Yeah. So, um, no. So, so I mean, like, you know, in the beginning it was, it was a struggle, you know, it was a big struggle of course, but, uh, now I have, you know, I have companies calling me the whole time and emailing me and asking, you know, to, sponsor me you know and to be brand ambassadors and to uh, create build brands and you know build new brands or things and and i say no to most of them um because the thing is that what i learned also you know when i was kayaking to africa or when i was climbing mount everest or whatever uh let's say everest so i had some logos right i had uh, i had the fujifilm maybe uh, no i didn't have fujifilm but i had the bluetooth i had sony whatever i had the thing is that those pictures, 2007 was the year of internet, right? So that was, you know, the year that pictures were circling around. In 94, 95, they were not really, you know, I, they were printed in some 
press and media and things, and maybe there was a film, but that film was on TV and it disappeared if you don't have a VHS cassette at home, you know? So, so, so which means that those things were not as, you know, circling around as Everest was. So, so Sony will be circling around forever and ever on my sweater because I will only, I mean, I will always use pictures for my Everest expedition. Because yeah. I will in lectures, I will in some kind of interviews. If you have a magazine, Chris, you say, can you send me some pictures from Everest? Here's a picture and there's a Sony logo and I cannot avoid that because that was a part of that expedition. So which means that I understood that you have to be very careful who you use because those pictures will be circling around for ages and ages. So when, so when companies contact me and say that, listen, uh, we want you to be a brand ambassador for our brands. And now, for example, there's a clothing company who is a, has approached me and said that, do you want to be a, you know, our brand ambassador for three years? Well, I have some pretty big expeditions coming up the coming three years. And those expeditions are big enough to be um, pictures that I will use in the rest of my life. Yeah. In different kind of, you know, books or projects, which means that those brands will not be a three-year plan. That brand will be forever and ever in my life connected to me. So I have to be very careful in a different way today because, you know, I'm, I'm circling more and more in media and I'm doing bigger, bigger productions. So which means that the brands will be circling around in bigger, bigger audiences and will be connected with me for a longer time. So I have to be very careful how I use the brands today. Um, you, you, get, you, you get my point? Yeah, I understand. I, I have to ask you, Johan, what's next? You said you had some, some treks planned in the upcoming future. Can you share any of them? Yeah, I have, um, I have uh, two, two ones, two uh, expeditions. And, you know, they call me, you know, adventure activist. And, you know, and that's why I'm always combining the adventures to... Um, I'm always combining the adventures to um, some kind of philanthropy or some kind of, you know, make life better for me or for somebody else. So I have yeah. two, two expeditions um, coming two years. Um, so one is they are very, very different from each other. Uh, one is basically a book and a film project. The other one is also a book of, and a film project, but in a different way. So, the first one started with, um, see if I get this right now. So it started with, um, when I started to, uh, when I started my, my expeditions um, doing uh, seven summits, a journalist called me up and said, listen, so um, you did the seven summits now? Yes. Uh, okay. And, but people climbed Everest before, right? Yes, that's correct. And then you climbed Kilimanjaro? Yes. The people climb that also. That's correct. But you call yourself an explorer. Uh, yep. So what are you exploring? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. Uh, so I started more and more to think about, so what's the actual exploration? I mean, I've, 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 I've done exploration in terms of crossing, you know, polar caps in Antarctica and the research stations, but exactly that expedition, what was the exploration in that? You know, why are, you know, so, so I started more and more to think about what is exploration and why it's important. And I started to realize that exploration is not a geographical journey. It's an inner discovery of your own true potentials. 
And I started to realize more and more that the biggest exploration we do is the exploration within ourselves. Yeah. So, so the understanding of that, I call the eighth summit. And the understanding of the seven summits, the seven summits led me to an understanding of why exploration is important and what's the actual exploration is all about. So I started to, to read, I read more about exploration in terms of Amundsen and Scott and Hillary and Tenzing and uh, Buzz Aldrin, whatever. I mean, all kind of explorers. And I started to realize that they all base their exploration on one single thing is that the understanding of the human mind of the inner journey and everything it was not really a a white spot that needed to be covered it was not really reaching the ex- exact moon it was not really reaching the south pole or the summit of mount everest it was the journey the team the daring and all the things around it there was the ex- there was a major exploration in it you know so I'm doing an, an expedition, which I call the Eight Summit. The Eight Summit is um, an inner journey that will be uh, in uh, northern um, northern India. Uh, maybe you know that I'm uh, I'm uh, quite close, or I, at least I know Dalai Lama. Um, and so, so it will be a um, 108 day silent meditation. Wow. Up in the up in the monastery up in northern India. Um, so 108 is a holy number in Buddhism. If you see if you see the malas that monks are using, they're all 108 beads. And okay. so it'll be 108 days, and it will be 108 days going through going through 25 years of exploration, going through the understanding of why am I doing what I'm doing what have I learned and going through all the phases from the biking in 94 until pole to pole, for example, what exactly was the different phase? What did I learn? How did I improve? How did I develop? So it will be a journey and the film will be um, a mix of a film team visiting me every now and then um, up in the monastery where I will be meditating, where I will be doing yoga, and I will be doing the inner journey. Meanwhile, you will be looking back in time. So the film will go back in film material from the kayaking to Africa, from the biking to Africa, from the flying boat, from the seven summers, from the Mount Everest, from the North Pole to the South Pole, to everything. So it will be back in time where I will kind of like zoom out in my meditation and go back in memory of 25 years of exploration. Incredible. I look forward to seeing that. <laughs> and, and I think that's going to be an amazing adventure, another amazing adventure for you. Um, Johan, Johan, we're going to have to wrap up there. And I want to thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing all your, your wisdom and your adventures with us. I really appreciate it. If the listeners wanted to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? Uh, Instagram is good. Uh, Johan Ernst. Uh, my Instagram. Um, that's 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 the one that I used most frequent. Um, I have a website, but it's not updated, so it's so it's not really um, something to look at right now. It's uh, you want earns as well, but I haven't really touched it for a year or something. Uh, I've been traveling too much, 
so it's not really updated, uh, but there are some old stories there. Um, otherwise, new things is you want Ernst on my Instagram. Okay. Sounds great. Again, Johan, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And we're, we're going to wrap up there. And listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.